0: Tonight on part two of your week in IndyCar listener Q and A episode, got a bunch of your questions. How funny It's a listener Q and A show? You send in questions, we got them. Oh, we got them. Well, it is a Friday evening. Sun has just gone down here in Northern California. It rained a little bit. That's a nice change. I gotta gotta admit, this is your first time listening to this little Marshall Crude experiment that is driven, indeed, by your submissions, well, it's a conversational thing. It's not super, super polished. In fact, I refer to this lovely Week in IndyCar listener Q&A experiment as my unpolished turd of a show. So, we are rocketing towards episode 1000. I don't know when that's going to land, I'm guessing, middle to end of next week. I really do hope that you enjoy that, because... Fair amount of time's been put into dragging some guests, telling some pretty darn good stories. I would say, gonna say thank you as always. Cooper Tires, The Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA. Begin to wind down this year, and I'll tell you, you'd think things would slow down. We have not had an IndyCar race for what almost two months now. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, hmm, no, things aren't slowing down. That's not a complaint with your Q and a items that keep coming in. Lots of fun stuff to get through. So guess what? We're going to do it. We're going to jump right in. Starting with Northern penguin. Oh, one. You seem to be leading off a number of shows lately. So I guess our man, Tim Falkowitz, who puts this little thing together for me, he's digging what you're selling. Question here says, although I don't like Santino Frucci, he clearly has a talent to drive Indy cars. What happened that has it looking like he will be off the IndyCar car grid next season? A fast fall after being offered a ride at Andretti. Well, won't uh, won't spend too much time on this one here, Northern Penguin One Hundred and One. I feel like we might have gotten into this a couple of times over the last month or however long. Here's what I can tell you from what I've heard from multiple. Multiple sources. Uh, there is a pretty cool company that supports Santino and has for a while by the name of Clydell Manufacturing. As the story has been told to me by numerous people who are in and around the young gentleman from Connecticut, I'm told that Clydell said, Hey, we're going to really get behind you going to put money behind you, we're going to make sure that your career takes off, want you to get to the top. Formula One was a goal that didn't quite pan out, but hey, we're going to reroute things to IndyCar and we're going to seed this desire and dream of yours, but it's not going to be a permanent thing. So there's going to come a point before long where you're going to need to venture out on your own, Find either sponsors to keep the party going or even better, find a team to pay you to drive. Been told that the end date for the funding, rumored to be about $2 million a year, came in 2020, meaning going to support you through 2020, but that's going to be it. Now, did that news come at the beginning of the year? Did that news come as a result of all the business impacts, the negative stuff due to COVID-19? Can't tell you. Don't know. But I do know I've had this story told to me many times by a bunch of folks who I would say would know. And so as a result, things like being offered the ride at Andretti, I don't know if I would position it as offered, meaning, hi, here's a ride. Would you like to take it? It's yours. Uh fully believe that that was a is this something you have the ability to pay for to take over that obviously went nowhere so that's as i have been told the pretty straightforward story and it's not like this one has not been told dozens of times hundreds of times i don't know how many times throughout more than 100 years of indycar racing money to play money to play taken away no more playing Now, with what we've heard he might be doing in NASCAR with 20 Xfinity races, is that a team paying for that? Has he found some new money, but that sponsor or sponsors more interested in, say, stock car racing than IndyCar? I don't know. But I do know that Dale Coyne is looking for two drivers, and I'm told that there could be an announcement as early as next week on at least one of them. So stay tuned. Go to our pal, new pal, Damian Hellwell. Damian, how are you, brother? Says, Marshall, thanks for answering my question last week. Hey, there you go. We're going to do it two weeks in a row as I sip coffee. Did I hear you say that you're drinking some beer from Tadcaster, New York? Did you know that Tadcaster in Yorkshire, England is a major brewing town? I did not, but I will say this is a stereotype. I assume every town in England. I shouldn't just say England, the entire United Kingdom. Brews something. So, yeah, seems like every time I've been in the UK, (laughs) there's a local something in every little town that I've been to. Damien, you are opening up the major topic to begin the show, and that is calendar in questions of where we might be racing next year. You ask about Long Beach. Uh, Our man, the Oscar C. Love, first time, long time, he says, this is on the YouTubes. Someone says no racing at all in California in 2021. No Long Beach or other venues? Uh, what about Portland and Oregon? What about Phoenix or Las Vegas as options? And higherly, Lee, you have a question about whether uh, red state, blue state politics could uh, lead to blue state shutting down sporting events, so no racing in California and otherwise, and red state saying, come on in, let's go race. I know that if we look at 2020, we had red state st- states, as I try to put words in my mouth, I know if we look to the last season higher that we had red states that said no fans, some that said super limited amount. Um, we've had blue states that have said nothing. I mean, no fans at all, uh, no anything, no racing, no sports, no whatever in this little hamlet or wherever else. Uh, so I don't really see a linear thing here for us to uh, glom onto. Oscar and Damien, though, take your uh, your questions here as the, the main open, and I'll fire through these pretty quickly. To be honest, uh, on the topic of someone on YouTube says no racing at all in California, Oscar, I don't know why people say stuff like this. It's I don't I don't genuinely don't grasp it. We're in 2020, obviously, we're not done with 2020. Uh, there's still half a month to go, and then we have many months to go until the first IndyCar race in California, would be held. Before we get to that mid-April point, I am aware that, A, we're going to have a new president, and we're going to have a vaccine. And there's a strong possibility that the new president and his administration, which has a different plan on addressing this pandemic and trying to defeat it, then the current administration has a high probability of either succeeding or failing. So we don't know, but we do know that they have stated an intent to do something different. So until that happens, and I'm overstating the obvious, really hard to say whether the pandemic is going to be drastically affecting our lives in having States like my home state, California saying, Nope, turn everything off. Everybody go home. Um, or Hey, This plan, whatever it is, is helping. And, hey, we can kind of release the noose a little bit and let things get back to more of normal life because we've done a better job of defeating the pandemic. We don't know. The new guy isn't in office yet. (laughs) It's going to be more than a month until he is. So uh, just on the topic of someone making predictions, it's just, it's idiocy. Because, yeah, uh, it's not even the year yet where that new person's going to get in and they're going to try something different. And you got to get to that point, And then they got to try it for us to then see if it's going to work or not. Then we got this vaccine thing too. Hey, what do you know? And yeah, it might start next week, hopefully, maybe, what, couple million is what I read, a couple million uh, vials. And hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Again, it's going to take a little while for this to reach a lot of people. So we don't know, right? Uh, We just got to get to at least the early part of next year to get a feel for like, hey, the new plan, thumbs up, thumbs down, good job, bad job, whatever. The vaccine, hey, it's working and it's good. Or hey, whoa, side effects. And again, so... I just find it silly, Oscar, when someone who knows nothing about what may or may not happen because none of us can say yay or nay credibly decides to step out and say something like this. So I don't understand it, but hey, whatever. If that makes you happy, please do it. Um, I can tell you that in my home state here, uh, we are locked down heavily until the 4th of January. We know this because my wife and I went to a long-standing appointment that we set up, even confirmed over the weekend, this past weekend, and got there today and was told, sorry, uh, we actually cannot administer the services that you have secured. And it's because of the new uh, new regulations, the new plan put in place here uh, that says, know this, know that we're having a bad time again with the coronavirus. So, okay, gotcha. How would we know what things are going to be a couple months from now? I can't, I just, I can't tell you. And so I would hope, Oscar, that you wouldn't listen to anybody who would try and tell you that they know. Uh, It's just idiocy. So, thing to close here is this. We know, because I've asked, that Long Beach and many other circuits vast majority of circuits have plan Bs in place. This time, going into 21, we have history to draw from, knowing that, aha, it could continue raging. We need to make sure that we have options put in place to hold a race. If we can't do it in the originally scheduled date, this is something that everyone has the time and opportunity to try and plan for. Not everybody had that opportunity last year. The thing that I wrote said that the end of September, I believe the 25th, 26th weekend, Long Beach is being floated as an option, has been floated to my knowledge to IndyCar and IMSA. We'll find out if that ends up getting used or not, provided that date goes forward as the new Long Beach Grand Prix. Well, that would certainly fly in the face of no racing at all in California. Um, So we're going to have to see but we don't know because there are a couple of big things that have to happen first. And then we need to see how they work or don't work. And then we can make that call. Not so much the, will there be racing, but when will racing happen and when will it make sense? So there you go. We had racing in California this past year. There you go. Um, Here's the major thing to take home though. The major thing to take home is this we cannot have a repeat of 2020 for the majority of the tracks that hosted any car events, that being limited fans and or no fans. There was the ability for those who went without fans to make a big concession, take a serious financial loss and call it a one-time capability. Uh, The reason that Jim McCallion from Long Beach said, hey, if we're looking at no fans or even a pretty limited amount that are allowed for the original date in April, can't do it. It's not an option. Why? Long Beach Grand Prix, Texas Motor Speedway, run on down the list, they're all going to be seriously, seriously crippled financially uh, if not going into bankruptcy. Green Savory Race Promotions. Same thing. Run on down the list. It's one thing to be able to say, hey, we had St. Petersburg and there was a... Pick the number. Here's the amount that we were told we could have 5,000 people. Who knows? 10,000. It's a tiny number. And it's uh, We can swallow this once. We cannot swallow it twice. We are going to go out of business. The number I've heard not saying it's a fact, but I'm just saying it's what I've heard from a pretty darn good source about Indianapolis Motor Speedway and its losses this past year due to no fans, no concessions, no hospitality suites, no vendor midway rentals, and so on and so forth for the 500 plus the Brickyard. The number I've heard is 80 million. Eight zero million. with a negative in front of that. that's the loss that I've heard. You can't do that two years in a row. You can't. You simply can't. So whether it's Long Beach, Indy, uh, Detroit, don't care. Toronto, mid-Ohio, the financial survival of the businesses putting on the events, that's why they're all looking into plan B's or plan C's because if the pandemic is raging... And their original dates get pushed. A, they can't really afford to not hold races. That's how they make a living, that's how they stay alive. And doing a compromise thing where it's a tiny number or a number of zero, uh, that's also a death knell for too many. So, what we don't know is what the kickoff to the season is going to be like. I mean, we assume St. Pete will happen because it's Florida. And Florida doesn't give a bleep about anything. So we assume Rolex 24 Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, Daytona 500, St. Pete IndyCar, assume all are going to happen um, because they're in Florida. But other than that, I'm not wholly confident we're going to have a normal start to the season, no matter where it might be. So, Yeah. Uh, Can't wait to find out if this new administration and whatever their pandemic-defeating goals happen to be end up being positive and working, Uh, and if the vaccine is also something that has significant positive effects, because if so, maybe for the first time in a while, we can start to think about racing and talk about racing in a sunnier, sunnier capacity. Uh, we're going to move on to where are we going uh, as I lose my word file. We're going to Kyle Alex two, two, three from the Twitters uh, and Brian Haywood who throw in a question that's kind of on the home front. Uh, Kyle says for a loyal listener of all of a couple of months says, I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks Kyle. Uh, and only being a fan of IndyCar since the 2018, Indy Could I get a quick bio of how you entered the world of IndyCar and what led you to becoming a journalist of my new favorite sport? Uh, Yes, and I will try and keep this brief, Kyle, because I don't want to put too many people to sleep. Uh, My father was an amateur racer. I grew up in a racing household. Father was a mechanic, specialized in British and Swedish vehicles, and so he raced British vehicles. Uh, Ford Anglia, English Ford Anglia was one of them. It was a Lotus 23B little sports car that he and his business partner, Rick, uh, happened to race. That was a uh, Pruitt's old English garage and Rick's country Texan, I believe, uh, gas station uh, were the quote sponsors for that. Um, dad raced some other things too, but grew up in a racing household, Kyle. So going to amateur races with my dad, he uh, was SCCA member here in the San Francisco Bay Area region, so I would just be dragged to all the races with him. My earliest memories, genuinely, my earliest memories in life involved being at a racetrack. So I guess you could say I was kind of on that path from very early on. And then in the mid-'80s, uh really was wanting to find if there was something I could do in racing. Didn't know what. Had a family friend by the name of Mike. McHugh, who raced in the SCCA Pro Super V Series, which I guess in today's level would be probably mid-tier on the road to Indy. Below Indy Lights uh, in terms of speed, but not too, too far. Kind of Indy Pro, faster than Indy Pro 2000, um, but not quite Indy Lights. And so Back then, it was one of two to three major junior open wheel series that would lead drivers to IndyCar. Probably one of the most famous graduates and very successful Super V drivers, a guy by the name of Ari Leindijk, two time Indy 500 winner. So I started volunteering there, was a gopher. Gopher is just a term for, I mean, the kid who gets told to do all the. Dirty, unimportant stuff, go for this, go for that, go get this, go get that. That's what I did. Uh, did a lot of cleaning the car and not trusted to do a whole lot more, nor should I have been, and then was uh, just eventually entrusted to pick up a wrench and play a greater role. So this would have been eighty six, eighty seven, I believe. And so really cool thing, Kyle. Is uh, this is just a, a family friend of my father, someone he'd known for a good long time, Mike? By the way, and this is where the reason why I have this really long-standing friendship and relationship with the Justice family. Mike was Mike's main business was Bay Area distributing, and the main product that he distributed to auto dealerships. One of those being my dad's. Granted, it wasn't a dealership, but my dad's auto shop. Justice Brothers Chemicals and Lubricants and so I remember Mike coming around in my early teens early 80s of him pulling up whatever it was once a week once every two weeks in a van and taking out the uh, various boxes of JB products and uh, his future wife Kalina would do the same and they also sold I believe Redline Oil and some other stuff as well but they drove around supplying all the uh, peninsula here in the Bay Area, peninsula car dealerships, repair shops, you name it. And so however it ended up happening, I don't know if my dad took me over there one day or I just wandered over, uh, probably about a 15 or 20-minute walk from our house. um was just blown away by the Super V, little open-wheel car that he had, and he <laughs> let me volunteer my services and uh, learned kind of on the job and did that while I think starting as maybe a sophomore in high school, something like that, sophomore, junior. It was pretty much on from there, Kyle. So went on, got my first paying job in I think 88, uh, prepping about, I don't even remember what the number was, 10 or 15 junior open wheel cars in in a 2,000 square foot shop in Sunnyvale. Down basically Silicon Valley, and it was just packed, just no room between the cars at all. But lots of Formula Fords, Formula Ford 2000, a couple of Form Atlantic cars, which were like spaceships to me. And I was just me by myself, and I learned a lot, did everything basically, uh, loaded the trailer with cars, loaded everything, unloaded everything, drove the thing. And this, like at 18 years old, man. Uh, 17 or 18 and so that was pretty cool then moved uh I think in 89 started working at Sears Point for a team by the name of Pfeiffer Ridge Racing and that's really the big academy where I learned so much that's a place where Jimmy Vassar uh, IndyCar co-entrant 96 IndyCar champion won his first major title did that with Pfeiffer Ridge the SCCA runoffs Formula Ford champ in 86 I believe had a lot of great drivers that came through there. I learned a ton was, you know, really, this was my first major job in racing, uh, pro racing, and drove all over, did everything. It was just the best, the, one of the best times of my life. The path just continued upwards year after year, working in the next higher series or team or whatever. Genoa racing was up next uh, for me, more or less. Atlantics, Indy Lights, and then we moved into the good old Earl Indy Racing League in its, not its debut season. Well, it's funny, I don't know how to describe this. Yeah, um, the first season with brand new cars, with custom IRL specification cars in 1997. So that was my first Indy 500. Did five Indy 500s, and by 2001, my last, that season working with Sam Schmidt, which was the first season of his as a team owner, just decided I was like 30 or so, Alex, 30, 31. I know that's not old, but I'd been doing that as a mechanic or engineer, team manager, blah, 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 about half my life, and just decided I wanted to try something different. And so it took a few years. Uh, I basically retired at the end of the 2001 season from the team side as a crew member and always had a passion for writing, wanted to do something in racing had a lot of folks say right dummy no so first couple of things that i had published were in like sport tuner impact impact uh, import type magazines and took a few years to build up enough published bits to go all right i'm not a total joke what do you think what do you think maybe huh And so I remember I was working for a biotech company trying to put some of my engineering and mechanical experience to work. We weren't, I wasn't making much money at all. My wife, who I think we'd gotten married by that point, she wasn't working. So we were certainly not living high on any kind of hog. I was doing a lot of weekend work, a lot of fly out stuff, Kyle, so race engineer for a guess what we call today, Indy Pro 2000 team, team manager slash engineer for an Indy Lights team, stuff in sports cars and GTs. Wide, I did stuff, some stuff in the NHRA as a manager, team manager. I was doing a lot of stuff, flying out to races uh, to make money on the weekend. And frankly, I was making more doing that than I was my normal job. And just got to a point where I said, hey, going to these, in particular, these American Le Mans series weekends or whatever, where the uh, Speed GT series, sponsored by the former Speed TV channel, uh, this World Challenge GT series, I don't see any original reporting about these events on Speed's website, which I go to every day. So friend at the SCCA, Eric Prill, I said, hey, do you know anybody at speed.com or whatever? you might connect me with because I'm at a lot of these events, you know, doing running a team or engineering a car or whatever. And I could probably poop out some words about it. So there would be some actual on the ground content being delivered. And he said, yeah, let me connect you with this guy named Joe trip. And Joe's in charge of uh speeds digital stuff. He said, you sound like the best guy to work for free to write world challenge content I've ever heard of. You're also the only person. So sure, let's try it. And so that's where this whole thing came from, man. Uh, took me, that was middle of 2006. So it took me almost five years to find this kind of sort of way into racing media that I desired. Last thing I'll mention here, and it's a theme in a lot of questions that we get about, Hey, I want to get into racing. How do I do it? Where do I go? Uh, how can I make it happen? I was after paying our rent, paying for whatever else we, after covering all of our bills, I was using the money that I was earning doing the race weekend engineering, managing stuff, which paid pretty well. Um, I was turning all that money right back into myself for this new thing I wanted to do as a racing reporter. So when I say that, you know, Speed said, sure, we'll gladly accept whatever free submissions you want to send in, right? I mean, you have no experience. We're not going to pay you, and we're not going to, like, give you some contract to commit. We got to see if you're even worth it. Well, so there were weekends where I was, doing the paid thing to be there at the track, but there are also a number where I wasn't. And so I took whatever proceeds, and that was buying plane tickets and hotels and rental cars. I remember (laughs) after I had my camera gear stolen, which I'd had since I was about 16, uh, I had bought a Canon, I don't even remember what body it was. It was like a 20D or some like barely prosumer level, not you know, barely even qualify as a pro camera body. And I couldn't, I had some small little lens again, not a lot of money. Uh, we rented a zoom lens uh, and I would go to this place in San Francisco that I knew of to rent this same lens over and over again, because I couldn't afford the thousands to buy it. And so None of this is like, oh, that's amazing that you did this. No, this is what a lot of people do, man. Hey, I wanted to get into this. I wanted to create this opportunity for myself. Thanks to Eric Prill. Thanks to Joe Tripp, who's now a speed sport. He said, sure, uh, let's give it a shot. And so it just took investing in myself. And so I think by about 2008... Uh, that's when I first had like, okay, you're going to earn some money. <laughs> it's it's really not going to be much, man, but you're going to earn some money. And I had to do a lot of other things to make ends meet, uh, left all the biotech stuff behind and we were scraping hard for a lot of years there, Kyle, but happy years. And the reinvestment in myself and ourselves here for this new line of work, it was uh, it was the right choice. And I just tell you, my friend, I'm not talking about, hey, first class. Hey, we're staying at name whatever hotel that's really nice and getting the luxury whatever vehicle. It was whatever the least convenient, cheapest thing uh, you could find. And none of it is inexpensive. Like Petit Le Mans, for example, used to fly in, for the previous weekend, and there would be testing throughout, you know, we're talking a hotel bill, even at a cheap place at a, you know, a hundred bucks a night or something. I mean, you know, you're walking away with, and they, plus they jack up the rates for the race weekends, you know, talking more than a thousand dollar hotel bill. <laughs> and when you're, uh, when you're not making a lot of them monies. Yeah. But that's what it took. Uh, it's one of those things where you say, I'm investing in myself in the belief it's going to pay off. One of the coolest parts I would mention here, Kyle, to close, you know who said to do all this in the midst of great financial instability? That was my wife. I said, yep, uh, I fully support you. Uh, do not fully grasp how we're going to pay rent next month. There were times where I had to borrow some money from friends to do that. Um, that's, those are stories for another day. Racing related, by the way. But she is the one who said, hey, this is the thing you want to do. Um, you're making okay money finally now in biotech, but you got this shot. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, you know, there's more than one time where she went to pick up that zoom lens and put it on her credit card because I didn't have any money and she had a little bit of room left, and she did it because she knew that it was important. So um, this was a dream, has become a ongoing dream that I am living, Kyle. Uh, pretty amazing that the person that said, all right, you are at the edge of the cliff, jump. I know we have no clue where the bottom is, but we do believe you're going to land safely. Take that step. Uh, That's my wife, so really cool. Uh, Brian Haywood says, I hope you and your beautiful bride are both doing well. We are a little pissed about stuff today, but we'll get over it. Uh, did you ever get to experience a victory when you're working in cart or the IRL? Uh, also what was your favorite team to work for and why? Well, funny you should ask Brian. I did not. Uh, when I tell folks like, look, I was good, but not great at at what I did. You know, it's not a surprise that, uh, I was with a lot of teams that fell into that category. There were some that were definitely good, but I don't know if I really was uh, a contributor to that. Uh, Best result would have been second for me. So no wins. Had a pole. Uh, Polar two, maybe? I I think there's one that stands out in 2001 with Schmidt. Uh, I know that we finished second at Texas in 98 with the uh, General Racing Tom Knapp team. Uh, Greg Ray at his home event, and I know that there were a couple podiums in there somewhere, but, yeah, not a ton. Uh, I did choose to work for smaller to medium-sized teams, though, Brian, so not that those teams don't win, but the odds, the the amount of victories that come their way tend to be a a smaller percentage. So sad that I never won, uh, but, you know, it wasn't one of those things where I was going to keep coming back year after year until it happened. Cause it still might not have happened if I was still trying to do it. Uh, you said, what was the favorite team to work for and why? Hmm. I, I do think the TKM Genoa for sure, because it was just our Indy lights team, man. Uh, it was just our Indy lights team that decided, Hey, let's go try and do this Indy car thing or IRL thing on a shoestring budget, but it was just good, fun people. They were all wide variety of personalities. And I mean, <laughs> every type of personality was represented and crazy characters and a lot of fun. Um, and I think what I enjoyed most, Brian, is I got to do a lot of things. So I was team manager, assistant team manager, Assistant engineer. Uh, I mean, I did. I booked flights when we needed. Um, I did, you know, uh, car conversion with the the new bits to convert from say the '97 Delara spec to the '98. Um, did you know a lot of things, and that's what you get to do quite often in a smaller team, less pigeonholed, and that was specifically what I wanted and kind of sort of specifically what I looked for in the teams that I end up working with. So, whew, good times. Really, really good times there. Uh, Richard Stevenson, talking about a, a topic that I would say is dear to my heart and that of probably many others. It says, Marshall, we reminisced recently about Greg Moore. I see similar traits in young Colton Hurta. I get the same feeling uh, and enjoy watching Colton. In his car, as much as I did Greg, he says, for me, that's high praise, but I'd appreciate your view. I love this parallel, Richard, and I hadn't put it together on my own. So uh, good on you, brother, for seeing that, because I agree. Of course, we're not talking about identical or anything like that, but there is a quiet, insane confidence that the two have, which sits on top of generational talent. Like, <laughs> we expect Colton to be a many times IndyCar champ, Indy 500 winner, et cetera. He's got the kind of talent that has him in that place where all those things should happen. He, Pato, Ward, couple of other, the younger, youngest generation right now, they should be, all timers by the time they are done, assuming no major hiccups in their careers. Same thing we said about Greg. And even in the five wins that he earned over the five years or so that he had in cart, um, you could see that this guy was just one team Penske away from a total breakout into, holy cow, (laughs) steamroller for the next decade or however long he wanted it to be. Colton has that thing. Other thing that he has, and I would... It's something new for, for me to try and quantify, and it is a level of aptitude at such a young age that I don't know if I've really seen this before in IndyCar. Now, I wasn't alive when A.J. Foyt made his, quote, IndyCar debut. Might have been the same exact thing, if not better. And we can run down the list and say, you know, back in the day when so-and-so did this for the very first time, uh, first season or two, they had this wild trait of being so far ahead of the car, so unfazed by everything, so mature at such a young age. The thing that Colton has that it's just really rare, truly rare. And this is not just today. I haven't seen this in many for a long time. Mid-career guys, late-career veterans and whatnot. His mental processing speed is... I don't know how you quantify that. But I bet you that if there was a way... Right. Like we think of an IQ test or some other way to measure cognitive speed, processing, rationalization, problem solving, deconstruction, reconstruction, blah, blah, blah. But like if there, I don't know, maybe there are tests. And again, it'd be funny if there are because I'm too stupid to know it. So therefore, there's no need for me to take it. But Colton has this thing. And. I can even see it when I'm asking him interview questions or having a a detailed, call it personal question about racing that just BSing about something uh, between us. He's one of those guys who doesn't just, he doesn't finish your sentence by speaking it. He gets about the first three words, knows where you're going, and has an answer for you before you finished asking. And you see that when I, when you talk to him about the intricacies of driving and it's just fascinating where it's not like he's the first rookie ish, young, really young guy to do this. Richard, of course, we can go back through F one through this, that, and the other. And there's all kinds of amazing names that stand out Indy car, NASCAR. So not saying that he's a unicorn it's he's the only one. Just saying right now, there's something very different about him that does remind me of Greg, now that you mention it, of being so far ahead of the car, able to process so many things and not be defeated by them. It's phenomenal. And this kid's ability to have big things going on for the first time racing in an car and experiencing this thing, that thing, the other, and to handle it all on the fly, grasp it, get the answer, and then move past it. When normally, Richard, you have a young driver where you go, well, they're going to need to go knock a couple walls down and get beaten up a little bit and get yelled at, and you know they're going to have to go through the wars and make all those big rookie mistakes. And then through trials and turmoil and highs as well, but they're just going to have to go through this whole gamut of emotion and positives and negatives and big crash of everything. Give them a year or two, maybe three and coming out the other end. They're going to be battle hardened and ready to go. Brother Colton was doing that in year one. (laughs) Colton was doing that right out of the gate. Looked like he'd been here for ten years. And there really wasn't a a real rookie dip. Didn't hit the rookie wall. Well, all right, well, year two, right? Uh boy, it's sophomore slump. Sophomore slump my ass. <laughs> the kid finishes third overall in the championship, driving for a team that, despite being very strong in 2019, limped its way into 2020 was really nowhere for more than half the season. And yet this is a kid who is putting up the best results in the team looking while winning was not really an option for the majority of the year. He's the one who is able to solve most problems and get through it and deliver quality results. So (sighs) Greg, in his time, had bigger challenges in a time where, boy, on the wrong tire that year, that wasn't the motor to have and the other year, whatever it was, Greg had a lot of things that held him back in more ways, but he was still able to shine through, just not as frequently. Colton, in this era where things are pretty much equal, we're seeing how this kid somehow is... 20 years old, whatever he is driving like he's 30 and a 30 year old champ. Uh, yeah, I still don't think he deserves or uh, receives as much appreciation as he should. Uh, cause the guy's just, yeah, I mean, the only one who's close right now is Pato Ward and Pato is super smart as well. He is, there's something else there too. So, uh, I'm hoping we'll talk more about Pato here in the very near future. This is another kid where you go, What? <laughs> as we had Little Al and Michael Andretti for so long as the direct rivals, I can see how a Colton uh, and uh, Pato, former teammates obviously at Andretti Autosport, but I can see how these two could be going head to head for championships for many years to come. Kind of a modern version of those two. Uh, let's go to our pal, Jameen Tuttle. It wouldn't be an episode of the week in IndyCar without Mr. Tuttle weighing in opens by saying happy birthday. Thanks man. Uh, after watching the F1 race Sunday and seeing how different the podium looked because the top two teams had issues made me wonder who is close to make the move to the big three in IndyCar. Is it Ray Hall Adam and Lanigan racing Is it Aero McLaren SP, also known as SPAM? Uh, They really seem to be the only choices right now. Yeah, I think, I don't remember whether I've written it or said it to me, but uh, our pals at Aero McLaren SP, I mean, we had a big 3.5 this year. They weren't all the way there, but they got pretty darn close. (sighs) Imagine year two of Pato... With his race engineer, Will Anderson, with Craig Hampson having a bigger impact leading into the uh, new season, I think that there's going to be some pretty darn impressive stuff going on there. Throw in Felix, right? I realize he's, what, going to be in his third season, so it's not like Oliver Askew, who had one season, it's not like they're getting some super veteran to go alongside, of uh pato but felix is pretty darn good isn't he uh these two could be a big big influence on how the season plays out i i gotta say we don't know we don't know how the teams are going to open the season we can assume though team penske is going to be Absolutely looking to get back to their championship winning form. Joseph, we know, surged late, but they're going to need to try to figure out what they missed and also how to start off stronger. The Ganassi team made big season off changes, big big off-season changes, as I try and get the words ordered correctly in my head. I don't know if they're going to sit on that though. And I'm not saying they're going to make more changes like, Hey, engineer you're out and you're in over here, but just more of, okay, don't ever want to rest. Don't ever want to think that the thing that just got us the championship is good enough to get the next. What other things can we do? Is there someone we can add? Is there an assistant we can put in place here where there hasn't been one? And that assistant is going to do something better. Like what can we do? I think there's going to be that. The Andretti team, I mean, you've got you've got two of the big three that are looking to start off the year in a much stronger position. You got the one that just won the title, trying to figure out how to not get overtaken. And then you've got the Aaron McLaren SP team, which, based on their form, I could absolutely see them displacing one of the big three with Pato and Felix. The engineering strength and driving strength combined is unlike anything they've ever had. So, two cars, two drivers, engineers plus a technical director plus I think deeper involvement on the McLaren technical side from across the pond, they've I don't foresee them having ever started off the season with a stronger overall effort to wage. So, I don't think Rahul Edaman lanigan is too far behind. What intrigues me is the insertion of Matt Grizzly is Takuma Sato's new race engineer. That guy is just bad ass. And he's replacing a guy in Eddie Jones who is badass times a thousand. But I just, it'd be fascinating to see what happens here. They're they're a team that, unlike the the four that I've just mentioned, I, I can't, I can't say I have a feel for how they're going to run. I expect big things, but I'm not sure if that's going to be something that we feel right away or is going to take a little while uh, for them to all gel and uh, and achieve those heights. So if you're betting, Jameen, uh, there is a certain pork-like product that you should be putting your money on. Uh, let's see. Otto Kinzel. You say, Marshall, I hope you and your lovely wife are healthy and staying safe. We are says, with Jimmy Johnson making the switch from NASCAR to IndyCar. um, Got me about thinking about open-wheel drivers who went the other way. In the 90s and early 2000s, we saw Robbie Gordon, Dario Franchitti, Sam Hornish, Patrick Carpentier, AJ Allmendinger, and others switch to stock cars. How differently do you think the open-wheel landscape would have looked if they'd stayed at IndyCar, especially after unification? Dario came back, uh, but the rest never did. All of them were race winners and... Uh, would have and, and would have made a current grid even deeper in talent. You know, I do think about this every now and then. Uh, I don't know if I give it enough thought, but hey. Um, yeah, there there was this, hey, land of, of milk and honey in stock car world. Let's go give that a try. Uh. Hornish, I think, was always very good in the IRL. Clearly, Indy 500 winner champion as well, multiple times over. I just never rated him as an all-time talent, though. So him going to NASCAR, and I know that he had some success, but it was a lot of time spent kind of being there thereabouts, but never all the way there. It really surprised me. Dario, we know his story of spoken about that. He had one year, um, ended in injury. He's always believed that if he had a second year or third year, he could really... Do a ton better. I got to believe it because he's that good. Robbie Gordon. Uh, I don't know. Um, There's this weird thing, Otto. And I don't know if it's weird, but that's how I'll describe it. I think about the raw core passions that drive us into something. I don't know what it is. You saw this. Band playing and the drummer was just the drummer just captivated you. He said, "Oh my gosh, I have to learn how to play the drums. This is going to be the thing. This is uh, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a drummer. Could be food. I want to be a chef. Could be a whatever. And if you do it long enough, I'm raising my hand because I just told the story about me being on the." team crew side, whatever, and deciding hey, needed a, a life change and I ended up coming back to racing, but it was in something totally different. It's not uncommon if you do something for long enough, you reach that point where you go, Yeah I Wanna try something different. Wanna maybe want to stay in the general area, but yeah, uh the the passion that I've had, it's there, but it isn't as sustaining as it once was. And so I just have to go try and do something different. I'm always curious about the that thing, Otto, when we have a Gordon, a Frankiti, a Hornish, and so on, who none of those guys grew up saying, NASCAR, that's me, got to do it, can't wait. Everything else between now and then is a waste of my time. Very much a, I'm burned out, I want a new challenge. This is a great way to challenge myself. I question, though, whether the true passion for it ever existed. It was an alternate. It was a diversion to try and sustain that flame by challenging yourself with something new and vastly different. But I wonder if the lack of it in this case, being stock cars, being the core passion. It's what prevented most of them from having deep, deep success. I mean, they all have, everyone here mentioned, had enough talent to be champions in NASCAR. I don't know, I'm not sure if Carpentier did, if I'm being honest, and that's not picking on Patrick, it just... And I know I mentioned I didn't think Hornish was the greatest of all time, but he certainly was damn good on ovals. But anyways, I think the majority of the ones you've listed here, Otto, had enough raw talent to at least be regular winners and in the championship frame regularly in the top tier. But I just do wonder if that thing that inspires you to go to the end's to be the world's best drummer, best chef, best race car driver, that core thing that drove you. Sometimes I wonder when you go, you know what? I love drumming, but God, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go pick up the bass. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the bass. I just, I just got to do something different. You go, all right, cool. You know, and you picked up the bass. Boy, you learned. Boy, you I mean, you're pretty darn good at that. Uh, I don't know if as good as your, your drumming might be, but, you know, you got pretty close. I just wonder if that's a thing here because these drivers, they certainly had the potential but never quite got there. And I know that I believe in just about every instance there was some form of, yeah, I need to go try something different. Uh, or I got an opportunity hey, I'm going to get paid a buttload of money to go do this. Uh, A variety of motivations that weren't rooted in the core thing that made them just attack and attack and attack and achieve uh, many, you know, at seriously high levels, if not championship levels on open wheel, which just never quite got when they went over there. So I wonder if there's something there. Uh, Lake Effect Racing from Facebook says... Uh, MP, thank you for interviewing. Mrs. Meir, that being Catherine bond, Mir, CEO of the W series. It was an interesting interview. Next year, I plan on carting with my daughter. Says I bought a cheap basket case to fix up. Uh, well, it'd be great that my daughter uh, would be the first five hundred winner. I neither have the budget nor do I know at age four, if that is her goal in life. Well, that is the coolest thing in the world though. Provided she's looking forward to it. Uh, I, this is awesome. um, Says, I think it's just a fun way to connect at this at this age. I know that one of the recent successful uh, women in karting had a million dollar sponsor. Uh, I know uh, that to be nationally competitive in karting, it's not have heard of for some to spend nearly $30,000 to cover a nationals weekend. Karting is too expensive. How can diversity or the sport in general grow? Do you know any uh, women karting driving coaches? Um, well, the second to last sentence here is a little curious for me. Uh, If karting is too expensive, how can diversity or the sport in general grow? Um, my wife earns more than I do, brother. So, uh, cost and diversity aren't necessarily... Linked. Uh, And I'm. Someone filed a story this week that didn't go up. Amazing some of the content within it. Talking, basically asserting that the reason that there isn't greater diversity in the sport is because it's too expensive. I, again, I. Not a big fan of stereotypes, not saying you're making stereotypes. This isn't so much pointed at you, just saying that uh, I know a lot of black people who can pay for things more than I can, and I know Asian people, and I know people that are of whichever South American descent or et cetera et cetera so would just say that I might decouple those things here. Um, if we're just talking expense, uh, there are a lot of people who can't afford to do this if they wanted to, uh, instead of spending a ton of money on other things that they do in life, whether it's a boat or a lake house or whatever. Um, it's an awesome, awesome possibility. So I just would not say that diversity is being tamped down because there aren't enough quote diverse people who can afford this. It's just, it's a fallacy. Um, the cost though, you know, the, the money that it takes to get into racing properly, it's, it's never in my lifetime been insignificant. Um, that's just a fact and a reality. And I hate that part, but it's also maybe not too dissimilar than college sports. Obviously, if one son or daughter can get a scholarship to go to some amazing school to play whatever sport, maybe on a full ride ticket, great, cool. But for most, hey, sending one son or daughter off to a big college, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not something most of us can afford. Uh, we don't have children. I can just tell you right now, I I could not imagine how we'd be able to pay for a son or daughter to go to college because we just don't make enough. So that's not a complaint. Again, there's nothing negative in that. That's just stating that I think the reality for a lot of folks is big wish for a son or daughter to do something big and cool, whether it's scholastic or in this case, sports-related. But if the... the price to play is beyond one's means. I just think that's, it's unfortunate. That is the truth, but it is the truth in many areas. So I don't know if this is that unique. Um, I would also say that we're talking preparation. I don't know if you need to spend 30 grand a weekend for your daughter or son or whomever to compete at the nationals level this is maybe a simplified statement to close here, but when I hear about young driver X is going to be joining the road to Indy in USF 2000 with team such and such. Sometimes I hear that they are a very decorated karting racer and that they've won this and won that and so on and so forth. I'll tell you what, I've never really cared that much. I know that pedigree can be important if you know that a kid coming in has won everything. Great, cool. Maybe they're more prepared than some other drivers, but ultimately, the quality of that racing education and how far they've come along by the time they get to USF 2000, I've always looked at that, and I know a lot of people look at that as the thing that is of true importance compared to, oh, name the big (laughs) karting title or whatever it is that you might have won. Granted, at the USF 2000 level and the road to indie level, in general, you're bringing the budget. So that's where I think maybe spending a ton on the karting level It's a quality of the education, I would say, that is going to stand out most. Uh, when you get to the road to Indy. So interesting topic, and I hope we can keep talking about this one more because while we know that the vast majority of IndyCar drivers have some form of karting experience, I can tell you the vast majority have not been doing that karting with a crazy amount of money and insane budgets to learn what they have, which sent them on the path to where they are. Uh, Let's go to Ed Joris uh, and also Dave Evans on a similar topic as we begin to wind down here. Seems like the romance with Ferrari is ending. Ed Ed Joris says, hashtag me personally, this seemed like a doom quixotic effort from the beginning. It seems like now a year has been wasted. that could have been used to try and lure another partner. And it makes me wonder about the wisdom of picking Penske to be the custodian of IMS and IndyCar rather than what I understand to have been the suitor everyone seems to have been afraid of. Um, I assume you're referring to NASCAR. Is there a plan B for a third manufacturer or is that dream dead for a while? Um, Dave Evans says Penske has mentioned other engine manufacturers are a goal for IndyCar, but aside from the Ferrari rumors, what potential manufacturers are a possibility? I believe I stated somewhat recently on the show that Hyundai Uh, conversations were held with Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai ultimately chose not to. Um, I mean, we know that others have. The Volkswagen Audi group has had discussions for sure. I am aware of Audi, Lamborghini, and Porsche, all from the Volkswagen Audi group, Uh, having been discussed contenders, possibilities. None of those have gone forward. Ed, I'll just throw this in. I've mentioned this to a couple people this week uh, on this exact subject. I think if 2020 had been different, no COVID, no big financial gut punches, big losses and whatnot due to the lack of fans and lack of this and lack of that, if things had just gone normally and Roger Penske's purchase of IMS in IndyCar had Obviously, it wasn't cheap. We don't know what the number was. But if that had just gone forward the way that it is uh, and no big deficits to consider, I got to believe that there would be strong chance of Roger Penske and Penske Corporation working privately with Ferrari to bankroll a third engine. I really do. Just a, an investment in his business and if having should say if having ferrari here would be amazing that would be the best possible outcome for indycar in terms of profile and prestige and all those things is there a chance that could still happen i don't know i mean i don't know if it would happen from the beginning this is just me trying to think (laughs) doesn't always work but i'm trying Uh, Rogers, the type of guy that if there's a really good business case to be made, he tends not to walk away from those deals. Having Ferrari in a series to raise its value, the, again, everything in IndyCar gets better with Ferrari here. Not that having picked the other auto brand wouldn't make things better, but Ferrari in particular be the best of all terms of international interest and value increase. Would it, the number that Jay Fry has told me that they have pitched to potential engine suppliers is 50 million over five years. So that's a pretty reasonable number, I would say, um, to do that. Now, would it cost, could it cost more? Of course. Um, but that's not a, that's not a, a insane number. If meeting a manufacturer privately, halfway, half subsidizing that manufacturer to be involved, and it lifts everything up for the series, I'd say over five years, that is a wise investment. So that's the only thing I can think of, Ed, where this would come to pass. Like you, have never believed Ferrari was truly interested on their own, I know that there was a story out of some BS website wherever a week ago saying that Ferrari was formally out, not going to do it. Uh, Checking with the series, they say, no, that is not accurate. Conversations are ongoing. That could change tomorrow. Uh, It could officially end tomorrow. Who knows? But at least they're saying, no, that's not true. Uh, And I actually don't doubt them in this instance, knowing the source that reported it. Um, But yeah, on their own, Ed and Dave, I don't foresee Ferrari saying, sure, we're just going to do it. Uh, I think if they have a a silent partner in this, it starts to become something that maybe makes a little bit more sense. Uh, Let's go to our pal Steve Grinstead. MP, not a question. But you're asking for ideas for your episode 1000. Any chance on getting Dale Coyne? I bet if you promise not to ask about his drivers for 2021, you may get it. All kidding aside, he is one of the perennial underdogs as far as owners. Would love to hear his story as an owner. Well, Steve, I would strongly recommend visiting MarshallPruittPodcast.com. On the upper right area, there is a little magnifying glass. Known to provide answers if you search. And if you're to type in the name Dale Coyne, you will indeed find an episode where we talk about Dale's upbringing. It's it's not super long. We did this at Phoenix, I think, 2017, maybe 2018. He didn't have a ton of time, nor did I. This was before the race, but uh, I don't know. We sat down for 20 minutes, half hour. Just really interesting. I love the guy. Um, dude, just love the guy. Uh, maddening as hell. Uh, he, I'm telling you, he missed a career as a drag racer because the speed at which his reaction time from seeing my name pop up on his phone to hitting the decline button or voicemail button, I'm just saying, (laughs) he would ace every single Christmas tree launching wherever. Um, Doesn't answer a lot of my calls. Doesn't answer a lot of people's calls. Uh, so I don't take it personal, it's just funny. Uh, as I've probably shared with y'all, you know, our, our late friend, Justin Wilson would say like, I haven't heard from him for months and he's my team owner. This would be during the off season, obviously. And he was for real. He just Justin would call me. He's like, Hey, have you heard anything from Dale lately about who my teammate might be? And I'm like, no, he says, well, neither have I. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I've called him however many times and emailed him however many times. I've texted him however many times. Nothing. It's been weeks or months. Sebastian would tell me the same thing. Um, it's just, uh, it's just funny. It's just funny to me at least. So um, love the guy. Enigmatic. Would absolutely suggest Steve listening to that episode because I enjoyed it and I think you might find some fun stuff in there as well. Andrew Campbell. Hey, Marshall, does IndyCar have a school for aspiring engineers and mechanics like NASCAR does with the NASCAR Technical Institute in Mooresville, North Carolina? If not, is this something Roger Penske and IndyCar might look at in the future? As always, wishing you and your wife the best during these difficult times. Thank you, Andrew. Andrel. Sure, Andrew Or Andrew. I'm not drunk. I'm really not. I'm staring into a mug that has coffee in it. Uh, not alcohol. So, but you wouldn't know it, right? That's why I call this mind polished turd y'all like, thank you for listening, by the way, (laughs) there are many fine things you could listen to. And instead you listen to this. So, Ah. um, no, Andrew, there is not. I, I wonder if this is something that teams might start to suggest and I say that because the the comment I'm hearing more of, it's not at a panic state. It's not a, oh boy, it comes up all the time yet. But I have been hearing more from IndyCar teams in recent years. And it seems to increase a little bit every year of, boy, we're, we're struggling to find qualified people to hire. Of course, there's lots of, I've never done it, but I'd love to, uh I work in heavy machinery. I work here there, you know, adjacent. But most teams aren't in a position to say, "Cool, we're going to spend the year teaching you how to do this job." Uh most teams want someone that can come in, has familiarity, maybe whether it's not or whether it's NASCAR experience, IndyCar, IMSA or higher road to Indy level. Look, you know the routine. You've been to the races. You know the pace, the expectations. You know what a nut and bolt is. You know what a torque wrench is. You know, camber shims is not some strange alternative band from Uruguay. Like, you know that those are actually part that goes on the car. Um, that person that might not have, might not be an IndyCar person, but you go, they know this and we're just going to tune, you know, we've got to tune the radio a little bit differently so they are on the IndyCar wavelength, but boy, they're really close. Those people uh, and or the veterans, the ones who have experience, those are just becoming harder to find. And so I wonder if this is something where teams might start pushing IndyCar for this or if teams decide to do something of their own. Imagine that. Teams getting together to solve their collective problem uh, and creating some form of academy um, where young and aspiring engineers and mechanics come in and get assigned to different teams to learn. I mean, that seems crazy to me, but hey. Um, but not at this point, Andrew. Uh, there is, is it IUPUI, I think, in Indiana that has a motorsports degree on offer this might be something where those of you who are aware of the various motor racing scholastic type programs at the junior college state college university level and whatever uh, states send the send that information along um uh, the contact page on the website works um, some of you can DM me and whatnot. I'm not hard to find on the social medias. Uh, let me know. Cause we do get questions like this or, or similar. Hey, I want to be, how do I, uh, I just need more knowledge of where to point folks beyond giving them general advice. So, uh, if y'all know of don't hesitate to send my way. Uh, let's see. Oh, Joey, the Priuses, what are you doing here, buddy? What are you doing? Says going to turn the tables this week and let you ask a question. The word let, by the way, is the one that I love here. Uh, What's one question you'd like to ask your listeners? Well, I have many questions, but I pose them on a weekly basis. What is wrong with you? Why are you here listening to this nonsense by this moron? I don't know. But hey, Um, my friend, his nickname, he goes by Knife. You might know him as two-time Indy 500 starter Chris Knifel. I also call him Knifel because he's got that K N. Um, he is one of my interviews for the 1,000th episode, and he said, "Hey, do you know if anybody has listened to all 1,000 episodes? And obviously, we're not quite there yet. But do you know anybody?" who has listened to every episode you've posted? And I said, I don't know. God, I hope not. Uh, but I, I've never even considered that. Is there someone who has actually listened to all of these? If I really want to get the answer, I probably should have put this towards the front of the show instead of the back of the show. But Hey, that's me. Um, I think that might be, I can't imagine anyone has like, that would just be bizarre. I don't even know if I've listened. Well, I have not listened to all of them, but I mean like have I listened to every single episode Uh, at least a couple seconds of it to make sure that the audio rendering rendered properly? I can't even say that I have because I know on a couple of occasions, I think it was Kota Spring Training 2019 Recorded Week in IndyCar with Connor Daly and Oriel Servia. Had to sprint to the airport to catch the last flight home. Rendered it, I don't know, uh, in the <laughs> sitting, waiting to get onto the good old plane at the gate. Uploaded it and published it. Got on the plane, got connected to Wi-Fi, and then all of a sudden got a ton of notes saying... Uh, this is an awesome abstract episode you have posted of white noise or no noise because there's no sound and I'm sitting here going, awesome. I'm on a two plus hour flight and I've just screwed the pooch. Why? Because I didn't take a moment to play the rendered audio before I got on the plane. I just assumed that it rendered properly. Everything worked and blah, blah, blah. So I can't even say that I've listened to all, but I've listened to 99%, but that would be the one Joey. Is there anybody that has actually listened to all the episodes, and if so, I realize that folks could lie. Why would you? it'd be a sad thing to admit um I feel like I'd have to give that person something because it that just deserves reward hazard pay that it's being reward rewarded for punishment I guess so that's the question I'd ask It's a little bit topical, but um other than that. I mean, I could ask a lot of questions, but let's just go with that. Maybe throw that one in uh, on occasion, Joey, and I'll try to come up with more things, and maybe y'all will answer. You also need to give me a hashtag, though, for those people, the respondents, to use to answer, because otherwise I don't know how I would track it, at least on Twitter. Uh, J.D. Ellis. J.D., how you doing, brother? Uh, since Roger Warwick already perfectly cast Indy Field into the Peanuts Christmas dance scene a few years ago. Who would you cast into Rankin Bass's stop-motion Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special, including the heartless elf that chucks the flightless bird out of the sleigh to plummet to its death? The, uh yes, uh, the the Les Nestman, uh move here. Oh, boy, I'm trying to remember all of the characters from this. Chip Ganassi. Definitely Santa Claus, right? Um, it's. I mean, I'm. It's not like I'm making fun of him body shape wise. I got him beat. I'm more round than he is, but right. Chip's got to be. Chip just looks like Santa Claus. Um, you know, we get him the beard, get him the hair. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of that right now. I'm have. I have less and less of that for sure. Uh, isn't Davey, isn't, isn't he an elf? I'm maybe more remembering the uh, Mad TV skit of murderous. Uh, stop motion, Rudolph the Red Nose, you name it. Um, Let's see. who? uh, God, I feel like, JD, I'm just going to fail you here unless I uh, I actually do the Googs search for this so I can rattle off the various names of the characters here of, uh, all right, TV special. Boy, this is pretty amazing. Um, Here are the main characters that jump out. All right, so Sam the Snowman. Um, Boy, Sam the Snowman. (laughs) Uh, Do we cast one of the Whittington? I mean, they're more marijuana. Uh, But do we cast, you know, a Randy Lanier or one of those types known for trafficking of things adjacent to snow? Maybe. Yukon Cornelius, one of the great all-time characters. Although he doesn't have the physical stature, just garb-wise, that'd be James Hinchcliffe, right? Uh, Let's see. Rudolph is kind of just that that beautiful young soul, so optimistic and whatnot. Who's a fountain of positivity? That'd be Alex Pillow, right? Without a doubt. Uh, What about the little elf Hermie, right? Um... Looked like he might have been murderous too, right? Based on the, uh, Mad TV skit. Who would Hermy be? Wouldn't he's blonde, right? So that wouldn't be, I was going to go Connor Daly, but he's, he's a ginger. So immediately disqualified Felix. Yeah, that's Rosenquist, right? I mean, the height as well is about right. What else? Um, isn't there, wasn't, yeah no that's a snowman so that works i think we got this cast pretty much uh i mean there's some others for sure uh who would be the the little elf the the mean little elf if you're talking about someone other than hermy boy who's just terrible and toxic yeah no that that's uh, okay yeah for sure zach veach right He's just known as being one step from pure homicide at all times. The guy is just a raging a hole. Possibly the worst person I've ever met. Sorry, that's humor it's among the sweetest people the Lord's ever created. Uh, where do we go here to wrap up, y'all? Because uh, we're not going into overtime. We're not doing any of that. Uh, and by the way, next week I'm I'm pondering the idea of just doing a single listener Q and A show. Uh, and maybe not doing a guest show. I don't know. And definitely not a second because I'm starting to get a little burned out. Not on this, but just in general. Uh, I think I need to dial it back a little bit, y'all. Where do we go here to kind of sort of close the show? J.D. more or less got it perfect. Uh, Tony Mueller. Marshall, I understand that you and many others didn't like the Hanford device, and I agree that it was just too much and made kart super speedway racing look kind of comical. However... I wonder why nobody seems to consider a smaller or less effective Hanford device to improve the current racing on ovals. That's a fascinatingly smart question, Tony, that I don't know why it never occurred to me and others have not mentioned before. I don't know. Uh, I should ask Mr. Hanford if that's something he tried, I would assume, and why it wasn't done. So let's see. Let me do what I'm doing more of these days, which is highlighting the question and hopefully remembering to go back to it and get it answered by good people when I get a chance. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Rob Ball says, MP of Chip Ganassi fielding a DPI starting next year. Will that affect any of uh, his IndyCar pit crews? particularly the number eight car, Uh, says, if I remember correctly, some of the crew in the Ford GT car went to the eight last year. Would it make sense for that crew to return IMSA or keep them on Marcus Erickson's eight for continuity? I believe it was pretty much the entire entire eight car was all Ford GT people, uh, Rob. But those were people that went to the Ford GT program from uh, the vast majority from uh Chip's four car team that got downsized a bit in IndyCar. I know of at least one uh who came over from sports cars, has been in IndyCar, and wants to go back, and I believe has gone back to the DPI. It's a good question uh that I will highlight as well and try and get an answer to. Uh I as I understand how the Ganassi team works they do their best to accommodate people's wishes and desires. But at the same time, if you've committed to do the thing on this car and you now want to go do it on a different car that they have, I think there's a little bit of weighing like, Hey, you know, this is what we hire, what we have you that we need you to do. And we want you to do it. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure how much call it freedom to just pick and choose where you want to work is allowed to happen. Um, let's see, I, I lemur from Reddit says, would it be possible for you to start posting your weekly Q and a and video form on YouTube? Like you did with the Indy 500 recap videos on racer, uh, don't need it to be a polished turd, but those were great. Um, I guess it's possible it, well, (laughs) It is possible. little back story here. My podcast host apparently had worked out a deal with YouTube that podcasts being posted would also then auto-post to a YouTube account, provided you had one, and you opted in for that to happen, and it was a self-publishing thing. And so that took place with every podcast episode for what? two years maybe, and that changed, I don't know, I think maybe a year ago where it was something like one a week maybe, uh, whatever odd frequency, um, that stopped being auto-published. And so it's not been something that I've decided to do since then because there, frankly, was pretty limited traffic for it. Uh, it wasn't really something that I promoted and the time I would say to do it right now, knowing that it's not just a simple, uh, MP4 that is going up, but actually having to render this as a video, uh, and then upload it. Um, I just, I don't want to set expectations that won't be met. I am pretty much flat out with the things that I'm capable of doing. And this is probably something I could do on rare occasion, but not frequently enough or not achieve frequently enough without pissing off fine folks like yourself. So as for right now, I would say it's probably not likely. So uh, let's see. Uh, Dustin Marlowe, how much of an influence did Jimmy Johnson have on bringing Carvana into the sponsorship fold at CGR. Um, I would say to my knowledge, it's about a hundred percent. Jimmy is the one who has brought significant partners along. More will be announced, but yeah, uh, that's a Jimmy thing. Uh, Let's see. I'm I'm trying to figure out where we're going to close the show on a couple of quick ones as we, uh, what we're at right about an hour and a half. Uh, James Lau, how you doing, James? This MP. I saw that Takuma had a uh, Indy 500 win celebration in Japan this past weekend with his car, too. Got me to wondering who pays for the transport of the car when it makes its celebratory tour, especially when having a trip uh, overseas. <laughs> and you throw in a uh, little eggplant there for me, too. Thanks, buddy. So I need to write this story because I did the interview a couple weeks ago and was asked if I could hold off on it. Um, cause it wasn't, you know, like major, major breaking news. Um, so this isn't just a celebration of that car, James, that car is going into the Honda museum. It's being retired. So I interviewed RLL team manager, Ricardo Nault, uh, good old Rico about this. And so I just, I'm late in putting it together. They asked me to hold it until what I think late last week, whenever it was. Um, it's actually being retired, man. So this is a Honda thing. Uh, Honda wanted it. Honda's getting it going to the museum there. So that's on them. Uh, da, 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 da. Robbie Berger. And you got a question about IndyCar esports competition. Uh, boy, I still haven't gotten a formal, que- formal answer on that. Cause I don't know if I've asked it formally enough. Guess what I'm doing? Highlighting your question in yellow. Um, I'm going to fire that through and see if I get a different answer, uh, this time around. Uh, Hey, I'm going to throw something in here. That's a little spasile. It's not really, but Hey, uh, it's all thanks to our pal, Matt Philpot. It says time for a game of what if it says, what if the split never occurred? Do you think Tony Stewart makes it to the big show and cart? If so, how do you think he does? Uh, no, he doesn't because there's no one trying to groom, short track oval talent to be in cart. Here's something interesting that I've been tracking Matt for more than a month and was hoping that it would be a positive thing to report. There's now nothing to report. So I don't mind mentioning it here in the show. Uh, the Tony Stewart was the subject of fairly intense efforts I won't say the team, I won't get into any of that because there's no need to at this moment, but Tony Stewart was the subject of active efforts to get him sufficiently rated to then participate in January's Rolex 24 Daytona again, and he was being groomed to do it in a prototype so how cool is that um spoke with the uh, the entrant that was trying to make that happen uh confirmed that that was an active effort did not ultimately happen and so yeah uh again it's a non-thing so there was at least an effort to try and make it happen but i was told this week that it sounds like it ain't happening, y'all. So that's too bad. That would have been fun. Uh, but consider, if you're a fan of NASCAR and IndyCar, that uh, there's going to be some pretty serious NASCAR talent at this year's Rolex 24. And not all of it has been announced. So uh, there's that. Uh, James Counter. Let's see. You know, do I take that one? Um, I'm going to go to Rupert Giles. Uh, and you're going to be our penultimate question here. Uh, I was waiting for the off-season to ask about less important stuff. Second-time questioner, long-time listener. Thanks, Rupert. Curious about bolting an Indy car together. Uh, hardware, steel, titanium, or something else. Um, light, first of all. Uh, titanium, not uncommon. Um, usually aircraft-grade alloy. We'll just put it that way. Uh, how is it safety? Is it safety wire, cotter pin, self locking K nuts, nylon uh, or nylock nuts? Everything torqued uh, when there's time, I assume. It says thanks, best wishes, warmest regards to your wife, cats, and you. Uh, everything you will find on an IndyCar. Uh, there's nothing, I believe, nylock, uh, maybe back in the day, but um, everything is super aircraft. And it's expensive. But uh coming from IndyCar and just junior open wheel in general, like when I was running my own team or teams in sports cars, little GTs and that kind of stuff, that's everything that I used. If I was making something new, bolting something in, uh seat mounting and whatever else. All the things where you go, hey, we we're replacing this on this production car with something that is race prepped. I, <laughs> I maybe it's just habit, whatever, but or just the way I was trained. But yeah, going down to the local Lowe's or Home Depot and getting nuts and bolt, like no, 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 uh, all an, uh, all an hardware for sure, and. Thin, light but tough, and, yeah, K-nuts, for example, you know, we're talking those get used a very limited number of times before the thread integrity is lost. Um, Safety wire, for sure, in some places where needed, Uh, but Loctite is a pretty good friend. You know, one thing which, for those who've watched but never cared or known to care interesting if you happen to catch this weekend's final f1 race of the year i noticed on what i think sergio perez's steering wheel when they use that rear-facing camera looking right at his uh, helmet in the cockpit you get to see the top portion of steering wheel And you'll notice that there are little Allen bolts or whatever uh, type head those bolts happen to be, but little bolts that hold the steering wheel together and the paddles and the whatever else. And you'll notice that there are little pink dots. And those dots touch the bolt and also touch the steering, the uh, the carbon portion of the steering wheel. And those are movement indicator dots. It's little small dots little dipping dots of paint that is put in place that makes it very easy to tell that after a a bolt has been tightened and sufficiently tightened or torqued, um, little dot will be placed in their case with their cars being pink. They use pink. Not every team does this, but teams tend to pick whatever color matches the car looks easiest to spot. And those little dots are absolutely super helpful to know if a bolt is starting to back off and loosen because all of a sudden that little dot that connects the bolt and the surface, the face of whatever it's uh, tightened into, if you see that on the bolt, that little dot is rotated back a little bit and it's no longer a perfectly circular dot connecting the surface to the bolt, but that half of it is moved, well, then you know that you have something that is starting to loosen. So if you're watching uh, F1 this weekend, I'm guessing Sergio's steering wheel isn't the only one that has that treatment done to it. But take a look. Just a cute little thing. Uh, James Counter, you're going to close the show. Why? Well, you're James freaking Counter. Of course you're going to close the show. MP, do you think BMW and Robbie Wickens need to have conversations and look at something there um, off the back what they did with Alex Zanardi in terms of hand controls? says, I'd love to see him in GT or see BMW in IndyCar. And he says, PSNO, BMW are pulling out of all motorsports at the moment. I would hope that Chevrolet, Aeroelectronics, NTT Data, uh, Coalition of the Willing, um, all have conversations with Robert Wickens. Said this before in the show, and I'll keep saying it. I hope IndyCar will have conversations with Robert Wickens saying, hey, Robbie." We're going to spend a lot of money, whatever we can, on marketing and promotions this coming year. Uh, boy, helping to get you back into a race car, even if you don't race this coming season. Uh, the, the process, a documentary, a something that chronicles the efforts to create what you need to do this in an IndyCar and to get you back into train and test and become an active IndyCar driver again. This is something we want to invest in. And so no single entity is having to bear all the weight and financial implications. But hey, if collectively, and I'm not saying everyone is responsible or anyone's responsible for it, but if IndyCar, if Dallara, if Firestone, if Chevrolet, since that's Air McLaren SP's engine partner, if it were Honda, I'd say Honda. Um, if it's team sponsors if it's mclaren if it's uh, just saying not like everyone is sitting on crazy amounts of cash to throw around but if the projected cost to do this as i've been told somewhere in the two to three million dollars boy getting one person to stump for that one company probably hard spread across four five six and or searching for more to come in specifically for this That, I think, might be a pretty damn amazing marketing and promotions endeavor, my friends. So, should they? Yes. Can I tell you why they aren't? No. Guess what? I just ended the show in a negative by saying the word no. I'm sorry. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the silly Week in IndyCar that we do each week, powered by your questions. Thank you for sending them in. I don't know where this fits on the unpolished turd uh, register, but, you know, yeah, it is a thing that we did. So thank you for listening. Going to be back next week again. I know I'm going to do at least one q and I don't know if I'm going to do more, but uh, we'll see if I get some rest. Thanks, as always, for sending everything in, y'all. Um, I do look forward to this, even if I'm drinking coffee instead of beer and getting toasted while doing it. Thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, and Bell racing helmets, USA.